All right, we're ready. That was a short say hi. Welcome, though. Excited to be with you guys. Um, excited to be kicking off our summer in this building. It's really exciting. Um, and man, I just know it's an honor for me to get to, to be before you guys, to get to share the word. As we've walked through Acts, we've seen how people have gotten to, to proclaim the word. And, and so it's an honor to get to kind of close out this series with you guys. Um, we have been looking at Acts, as Joe said, for a very long time. Uh, can I just see a, a you know, show of hands? Is anyone sad that this is coming to an end? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, we've been looking at this book because uh, we are a new church. And so we're looking at the early church and how they lived and grew and responded to the gospel so that as we are a new church, we can kind of see if there's anything that they did that might form how we start as a body. And so because this is our last week, I thought it'd be good to just kind of start back in the beginning of where we started, because I think it shapes where we're going. So in Acts 1, chapter 1, uh, Luke writes, in my, the first book, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so Luke is writing this as a follow-up to the gospel of Luke, the account of the life of Jesus. And he says that it is the beginning of what Jesus began to do and teach, which kind of the indication then is that this is going to be the continuation of what Jesus is doing and teaching. And so we see in Acts 1-8, really the, the, the thesis of the book, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we, what we learn is that what Jesus is going to continue to do is see the message of his kingdom and of his love spread from where the, the apostles are at to the ends of the earth through the Holy Spirit working in them. And so in the last, what, 28 weeks or so, we've gotten to see this together as a body. We saw the Holy Spirit fall on Pentecost. 3,000 people come to know the Lord. And through great miracles and signs, the, the gospel spreads, but it also comes with persecution. And yet, God is good. He, he uses that to ultimately advance the gospel even more and to step into that next rung of Judea and Samaria. But still, as the gospel spreads, it's being chased by this man called Saul, who we also know as Paul. And God, again, uses that for good. He confronts him with who he is and radically transforms his life from the greatest persecutor of the church to its greatest herald. And so Paul picks up on something that God has already begun to do, and that is seeing the gospel spread beyond the family of the Jews to all people. And so Paul gets linked up with this hub of where that's already happening in Antioch, and for the last semester we've seen how God is moving to reach new people with the gospel through Paul's missionary journeys throughout the Roman world. And yet again, we've seen that that came with trouble, and so actually the last couple of weeks we've been focused on how Paul has been imprisoned because of the charges the Jews brought against him before the Romans, and he made his appeal to Caesar. And in that process, yet again, God works for good and testifies to some of the leading authorities in the area of the good news of Jesus. And I, I go through all this because we've seen that through hardship and even in tough circumstances, even in prison, the gospel is advancing. And I think sometimes week to week we may miss this, but the subtle message when we step back and we see this whole story playing out is that the gospel can overcome whatever it faces. That it will go forth through the trials and the successes of the church. And it does that because Jesus, the force behind the message, is more powerful than the cultural divisions, than the geographical boundaries, than the, the forces and the efforts of economic and religious groups 
and then even the power structures under which Christians live. And I think the implication of the gospel being able to advance wherever it is is that God wants to move in us as he moved in the early church to see the gospel advance where we are. We saw this last week as Paul was in Malta. He was shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, and still God is moving. And so that's kind of the theme, a theme, a prominent theme in Acts, and that's what we are going to be talking about this morning, that God wants to use the circumstances of our lives to advance the gospel. And as we unfold what, a, what that looks like in our lives, what it looks like for the gospel to advance in our lives, um, I think it will be good to kind of rehash some of the themes that we've seen throughout the rest of the book. So I'm excited. We're going to dive into Acts 28, uh, starting in verse 11. Everyone ready? The last week. Here we go. So after three months, we set sail on a ship that had wintered in the island, a, a ship of Alexandria with twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in uh, at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found uh, brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about uh, us, came from as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. So what we're seeing here is this passage is simply tracing Paul's travel to Rome from Malta. When it says that they're on a ship of Alexandria, it's likely a, a trade ship traveling from North Africa that would have, you know, again, kind of wintered to, to survive the, the rough waters of, of winter there in, on the island. And when it says the twin gods, we're not throwing in any like weird new theology today. Um, that's simply referring to Greek gods. <laughs> yeah, the delayed laugh. Thank you. Um, Castor and Pollux, uh, the, these, uh, these were Greek gods that kind of were like patrons of sailing and of navigation, and so they would have been common on, on a ship. So I have a little graphic to show us the journey. We like beautiful pictures. I don't think I'm allowed to move over here, but uh, we're, so we're kind of traveling from Malta up along here. And the biggest takeaway from this map is that God is a soccer fan. Um, we see the boot clearly connecting with the ball as the island of Sicily. And so I just, I know there's people who are big fans of football here. The real football is soccer. So that, that's the, the, the thing. Um, but yeah, as we look at this passage, I think it is interesting that uh, Luke highlights that uh, there's all these brothers in these different places. And that's kind of weird because we've, we've been so focused on the missionary journeys of Paul we almost could think Paul is the only one advancing the gospel. But what we're seeing is as Paul arrives in Rome, excited to have a harvest in Rome, God is already moving there. And I think it shows us that this is not just a, a Paul thing. This is not just, okay, Paul was on fire for the gospel and planting churches and moving uh, or, and seeing God move in that way. But this was actually something that was happening as believers just stepped out and lived faithfully to present the gospel to those around him. And again, I think it's important because sometimes we can get caught up on like our own personal achievements. That's a big struggle for me. And we see that Paul arriving in Rome, this place he longed to be, was not a, an achievement for himself, but it was ultimately about the glory of God increasing in a place where God was already moving. And so we see Paul encouraged because he's seeing God and others carrying out the work that he has labored and sacrificed so much for. I think Paul is also encouraged just by the brothers. He's you know, we, we have the book of Romans. Many of us have read that, and if you haven't, you should. Um, but 
Paul's been praying for these people. He's been thanking God for them and asking God to open doors that he might come to visit. And here, finally, he has that opportunity. And a verse that sticks out to me just because of H2O, we have the Well program. It's kind of our introductory discipleship program. Uh, you get a 112 partner, and that comes from Paul's letter where he talks about wanting to have this mutual encouragement in the faith. And that's what's happening. And I think that the big point that all this shows is that the gospel advancing in our lives is not about you, nor should it only involve you. Again, I think sometimes we feel this individual weight in advancing the gospel in our lives and sharing with people. And that can be good when it calls us to responsibility and faithfulness. But also, God has called us into a family to do this with. Uh, My pastor in, in Dayton, where we lived prior to moving to Athens, would say this. He said, God did not give his church a mission. He gave his mission a church. And I think that's a helpful way to think about things because we, this is not a solo effort. Our love for each other is actually one of the primary things that Jesus uses to testify to others of his love. And not only that, but it's a place in the, in the church we can be spurred on and strengthened in sharing the gospel and ultimately reminded again that it's not about us and it shouldn't only involve us. And so Paul He sees this, he's encouraged by the brothers, he arrives in Rome. So picking up in verse 16, it says, uh, And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans." When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. So we see Paul arrive in Rome. Rome. He's still under the Roman guard, but he doesn't have to go to the normal prison, which would have been a pretty abysmal situation. Still, he is constantly... It says that he has a soldier to guard him. What that really means, as he alludes to in that last verse, is that there is, he is constantly chained to a Roman soldier. That Roman soldier will switch out, but Paul, 24 hours a day, going to the bathroom and all, he's chained to someone. And so when we say gospel ministry is not an individual effort, Paul always had someone with him. Um, but I think really what this, this part of the passage is getting at, Paul is doing two things. A, he's just doing... Uh, kind of this diplomatic effort to the Jews. Um, You know, he's had some pretty rough relations with them uh, in previous chapters. That's why he's in Rome. And so he's going to them and saying, hey, I'm here just for my own defense. I don't think I deserve the death penalty. I'm not here to malign you, to speak against you. He's kind of doing some relational management. But even in the process of that, we see that his desire is to share the gospel with them. So he's opening that conversation. He says, it's because of the hope of Israel that I am in chains. And what he's doing is he's connecting the circumstances of his life to something that they would care about, the hope of Israel. Some of them might have been awaiting the Messiah. And we see two things in Paul here. The first is that he's eager to share the gospel. This took intentionality in a place where it could have cost him. These Jews might have been able to help the Jews in Jerusalem like testify against Paul before Caesar. But Paul wants them to know Jesus, and so he's making intentional effort to do so. And then he's also prepared. Like, he has words to, again, connect his circumstances to their lives. And just as I, like in my life, I think that's a really hard thing to do. 
even recently as, as we've moved here and started working for the church, you know, a lot of people ask you when you meet them, hey, what do you do? And I just say, oh, I work for the church. And it's really hard sometimes to figure out how to bridge from I work for the church to I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. But scripture tells us that we always need to be prepared to give an answer and a reason for the hope that we have. And so if we're to obey that, it means that the gospel advancing in our lives requires both intentionality and preparation. I think practically this can mean different things for us. Um, It may mean just even praying for a desire to share the gospel with people, for boldness in that place. It may mean processing some fears or emotions or difficulties that you have in doing that. Or it may just be even practicing, going out and doing it. Um, I know for me, uh, some of us went out and played spike ball on campus last two weeks ago now. And I like got to share my story with some people. They're like, why is this 25-year-old trying so hard in spike ball? I'm not 25, I'm 26. Gosh, that sucks. Um, but uh, And I, I got to do that, and that was really cool. But I didn't feel like it really led to anything. Not that it always has to. Um, but on the way home, I just took, took a chance to kind of like rehash my story a little bit. How could I have done that better? And so as you think about this preparation, what is that for you? I think all of us, we're going to grow rusty if we're not exercising that muscle of evangelism. We need to be in a discipline of sharing. Paul has, uh, gets an interesting response from the Jewish leaders when he, he does this. Uh, in Acts uh, verse 21, it says, uh, And they said to him, We received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers were coming here or coming here, has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And so the Jews tell him, hey, we we don't know what's going on in your case. And this is kind of weird in some ways. It it seems like historically there would have been a connection between Jews in Rome and Jews in Jerusalem. But there might be a couple reasons historically why this might have been. We've just seen Paul have some, a really rough time traveling from Rome to, or from Jerusalem to Rome. There's a chance that their messenger got delayed or something like that. It also could be that uh, they just saw the, the hopelessness of their case after standing before Agrippa and Festus and all these people who are like, yeah, there's, there's nothing here. Maybe they're just like, it's not worth the travel to Rome. But nonetheless, we see the Roman Jews are interested in hearing more. And, and the reason they give for that is that the sect is spoken against everywhere. And that, that really reminds us of again, another huge theme throughout this book, that the gospel is going to face opposition. This is no surprise for Paul. Everywhere that he's gone, he has suffered and been persecuted. But I think what surprises me is simply their interest in hearing more. And, and, and that, that's just like my own, I'm, I'm not going to try to read this into the text at all. Paul was probably, you know, their concern was, is this blasphemy? Is this heresy that Paul's proclaiming? But I, I think when it comes to thinking about faith, um, I tend to assume that there's people are just like naturally have a negative posture toward it or just aren't interested at all. And I think our experience, even as we've been here in Athens, is that's simply not true. <laughs> like some people may be out there to malign us or like speak against us, but most people are actually really open to this. And it's interesting that Paul, knowing this opposition, still speaks and I think what, what Paul is doing is he's saying, you know what, this op- opposition that we've faced, it, we could see it as an obstacle, but actually it's an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed to more people. Even if it does lead to his harm, even if it means that these people then become inflamed against him. And really, this is the story, not just in Acts, but beyond. You know, Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, says the, the blood of martyrs are the seed of the church. 
And we see fruit as Paul does this. Paul is, uh, Joe mentioned this passage last week in Philippians. Paul writes the letter of Philippians from prison in jail, or in Rome, in jail, prison in jail. Um, But he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so Paul sees what's happening to him as Rome as an opportunity to advance the gospel. And he's not only seeing it in advance as he ministers to the guard who's chained to him and to you know, the, all the people around him, but he's also seeing the believers who are visiting him emboldened to share their faith all the more. And it just shows that the gospel advancing in our lives will face opposition, but we must face that willingly. We must enter it willingly. I think this is really at the heart of our faith because of the example of Jesus, that he came and died for us that we might receive his blessing, that we might receive salvation. And so the challenge here is that rather than being defensive, like maybe my default posture can be when we face opposition, we need to be ready to respond to people with the gospel because ultimately that's what our lives are about. And it's something that's way more important than what other people think. And so we're going to see Paul do this, uh, starting in verse 23. It says, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law and the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing amongst themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. So Paul shares the gospel, and God moves. We see that some people believe. We also see that some people don't. And as I was preparing for this talk, I was reading some commentaries, listening to some other talks that people have done about this passage, and some people kind of had this sense of letdown here um, because Paul is Paul. Nine chapters earlier in Acts, if he touches something and someone else touches it, they're getting healed. Like, that's how powerfully God's moving in them. And then this is Paul arriving in Rome, a place that he's longed to come to. It's the center of power and culture. I know Steph and I were kind of trying to think through even, like, what an equivalent city would be. And it's kind of like you take New York and L.A. and D.C. and you just smash them into one. Um, and then probably throw in London, too, just for the Dubois. Um, but... Uh, Twice, God has told him that he's going to testify to the hope of the gospel in Rome. You're kind of expecting something big. And what we see is kind of this mixed result. And it's this reminder that the the gospel advancing in our lives does not mean that everyone will believe. And so Paul kind of issues this conclusion from Isaiah 6 against the unbelief of the Jews. And Jesus actually quotes the same passage in every single gospel. And what, what both of them are getting at is that their hearts are hard. That the resistance to the gospel they're seeing is because something is wrong in their hearts. And this is really bold. Again, this could seriously affect Paul, but he's saying that they don't want the salvation of God. They'd rather remain in their ways. And I think this is true today too. 
There are people who are going to hear the gospel and who are going to remain set in their ways. They're going to want their sin, whatever that might be. I know for those of us who went to Beach Reach, we, we definitely saw that quite a bit. And Paul shows us that sharing the gospel actually involves sharing the consequences of unbelief. He, he writes in 2 Corinthians that we are the aroma of death to those who are perishing. And I'm not saying this is prescriptive. I'm not saying like if you share the gospel with a classmate, you should be like, you have a dull heart if they don't listen. Um, and there is something I think to be said too for seeds being planted. The reality is that the Jews go on and they, they're discussing this amongst themselves. But I think it is showing that Paul sees their hard-heartedness and is determined to continue to take the gospel to people who will receive it. Paul is saying others will listen. And this, again, is a huge theme throughout Acts, that all people need to hear the gospel. It's open to not just Jews, but to Gentiles as well. And when Paul says that, you know, they will listen, it doesn't just mean okay, every single person is going to listen. He's going to face the same thing with the Gentiles. Some people are going to be of hard hearts. And I think that really leads us to a question of what is, what is success in seeing the gospel advance? I think so often when we hear people talk about the gospel, we hear these really crazy stories that sometimes are like, that could never happen with me. And praise God, like the entire prisons have seen revival and like mass numbers of people have come to the Lord. But I think sometimes it communicates this message that like we have to see all this great success. But I know for me, like as I share the gospel with people, I almost never walk away feeling like I've nailed it. <laughs> like there's always something that I feel like could go better. And even like times when I have seen people take steps of faith as a result or even come to know the Lord, it's been out of some of the like worst presentations on my end. I remember I sat down and shared with this guy my sophomore year of college, and I, I actually misquoted scripture. <laughs> Granted, it wasn't like heretical, like, we, I, you know, I wasn't talking about the twin gods, but um, I, I think it's been this lesson to me of it's really about the power of God moving in someone's life. Yes, we, we share with them, but ultimately it's them who turn and are healed. And so within that, our call is to keep looking, just as Paul does, to keep pursuing people to be faithful. He writes in uh, 1 Corinthians that he has become all things to all people by all means so that somehow he might save some. And I think that's just this really apt description where he's saying, I can't guarantee the result. Some are going to believe. I'm confident of that. I'm expectant of that. But I'm giving everything to this. And it shows that the gospel advancing in our lives calls for patient and persistent faithfulness. And when we think about just our theology, what we believe about God, that he is at work, I think this is especially true. We learn in First Peter, or Second Peter that God is patient, that he wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so when we know that that's God's heart of love for the people that were around, we know that he's pursuing them. And so we can join with him in doing that. And so this is how actually Luke chooses to end the, the book we see Paul just faithfully proclaiming the gospel. It says in verse 29 or 30, uh, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. And this conclusion to the book leaves a lot of questions, like what happens to Paul? I mean, like the, the last seven chapters of Acts have been all about this trial and we don't even see the, the result of it. 
And actually, historically, we really don't totally know what went on. There's a lot of discussion and debate about what happens to Paul after this point. And some say that Luke ends the gospel this, or ends the account and acts this way because he left Paul after these two years. Maybe he went on to write the gospel or to do other work with other missionaries. We don't really know. But all he knew was, okay, Paul had these two years of faithfulness. Other people think that maybe his audience just knew what happened to Paul. Maybe they knew, okay, act, you know, he got beheaded. End of story. We don't need to talk about that. Or he went on to Spain. And we all know that. So there's no clear answer about this. I think it's a longer discussion. I have some thoughts after doing some research. But the, I think the big point is it kind of tunes us into what he's communicating to Theophilus at the end of this book. At the end of the story, we see Paul freely proclaiming the gospel. He's doing it under the nose of the greatest superpower, just as he's done everywhere else. And I think there's two phrases that I really want to focus on here. The first is that he does so with all boldness. And what stood out to me about this phrase is this is uh, an answer to prayer. So Paul, uh, or the believers in Acts chapter 4, they pray for boldness to be able to share the gospel amidst the persecution that's coming against them. Paul, in his, several of his letters, writes and asks for boldness to be able to proclaim the gospel. And now he has it. God has given him what he needs. He has been empowered to do what he's been asking God to, for him to do. And with all boldness, it, it, it communicates this idea that all of his life, everything he has has been given over to seeing the gospel advance. And then it also says that Paul does this without hindrance. That's the second phrase. And the, the, the word hindrance there, it's actually only used in that place in the Bible. You can't find it anywhere else. It's a very rare uh, legal term in the Greek language. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. I didn't write it down. Um, but it's basically the equivalent of a restraining order. And so what Luke's communicating with that is that nothing has the authority to restrain Paul from doing what he's doing, which is a really interesting conclusion. Like Paul is under house arrest for two years, 24 hours a day, is chained to a Roman guard. And as I thought about that, I thought about the pandemic. We love hearing about the pandemic, right? Um, the, the length of the pandemic pretty much has been two years. And that wrecked some of us, right? Did any of us feel hindered in our ministry and our relationships through that? And I know that's different. Like, again, there wasn't a pandemic going on. But I, I think it just helps us kind of tune into that length of time. And I, I think Paul easily could have concluded, man, this is a hindrance to me. But Luke's message is that those things don't stand in the way of Paul proclaiming the gospel. And I think it's actually that nothing can stand in the way here. What Luke is doing, I think, it's kind of like a cliffhanger at the end of the story so that we continue to ask questions. I thought of it kind of like a Marvel movie. You know, you have the, the classic movie and then you get to the post credit scene. You've just gotten done. You've been captivated, entertained. And then there's kind of this hint that something more is coming. And I think what Luke is doing is saying the story that we've seen of Jesus moving in the life of his followers and the life of his apostles so that the gospel goes out is actually a work that he wants to continue to do in us. That how nothing could stand in the way of Paul proclaiming the gospel, even amidst really difficult circumstances, that our call is to face what we face with the same attitude, whether that be success, whether that be trials, that nothing ultimately can stand in the way. And so we're empowered to go and to take the torch, to carry it to a new place, to let the light of the gospel shine in our lives. 
That's the message here. We are invited into the ongoing narrative of Jesus moving so that his salvation is known in the world. And as I think about this message and I think about our church, this is something that's really at the heart of our church. Our our mission statement is that we exist to proclaim the gospel through our love of God and our love of Athens. And this is something that we've seen in this first year. It's been really cool. Like, let's just celebrate. God has moved, and it's been really neat to see, and just super thankful for all you guys and how you've sacrificed, you've, you've made commitments to, to do that. But I think it could be easy to maybe rest in that a little bit, or like, hey, we've had a really busy year. Let's kind of sit back. But I think the idea here is that just as we see in Paul, it wasn't just something that happened in Rome. It was something that happened in his whole life, and it never was able to be stopped. And so what does faithfulness look like for us in this next season? That's kind of what I want to end with. And I think to break that down, there's really two questions I want to ask. The first is, what is a way that you feel challenged in your witness today? You know, we've talked about implications of the gospel advancing in our lives, that it's not about us, that it's not this individual effort, that it requires preparation and humility and intentionality, that it means embracing suffering willingly, that not everyone will believe, and ultimately that it calls for our faithfulness. Maybe, maybe faithfulness in this season means confronting some of the ways that that challenged you. Maybe you do feel rusty in sharing your faith. Maybe that isn't a discipline right now. Maybe you're afraid or you're, you've been avoiding something, a circumstance, or excusing that, the gospel not going out in your life in this season for, for some reason. What, what way do you feel challenged to maybe move forward with those things? And second, I want to ask, what does it look like for the gospel to advance in your life in this next season? And I think a, a good question is, Steph and I were processing this yesterday to maybe follow up on that, is how are you asking God to move? You know, I think we see in Paul, he's eager. He's looking to share the gospel with people. He's looking for the gospel to, to advance through his life. Are there ways that you are excited to, to share the gospel, a space, a relationship where you want to see God move? We can dream with God on this. And so I just want to challenge us not only to ask these questions to ourselves, to think about them now and in worship, uh, but to share them. Because again, God wants to use the circumstances of our lives to see the message of his salvation spread, but it does require intentional effort and faithfulness in the context of his family and his community. So let me pray, and then the band will come back and we'll worship. So Lord, we, uh, we thank you for today. Um, we praise you for, man, all that you've done uh, through our church this year. It's been so cool to see lives transformed, to see people who are intentional to, to sacrifice and to see the gospel go out. Um, yeah, we know that's from you, and so we just celebrate that. I mean, God, I, I pray for us as we kind of are in this season of transition, as we look to, the, to, to summer and, and to beyond, that you would lead us in faithfulness. God, if there's discouragement, that you'd meet people with encouragement, that the, the sacrifices that they're un- undergoing are worth it. And man, if there's pride, if there's a temptation to rest, that we would, we would all the more strive to see the gospel go out knowing that that's the very thing that you've called us to. I pray that you'd help us to trust you in that. And ultimately, we pray that you'd be glorified, Lord. That that we might simply get out of the way that you would be proclaimed in our lives, that you would be seen. We love you, Lord, and we're thankful that you've saved us. 
We thank you that you've called us to, to new life in you. In your name, amen.